Stewart. I see if we can take less keys and pump to see if we get more of the choir in there. Uh, I moved in high school. Didn't even You uh, may have noticed that uh, all kinds of things have been happening around here over this uh, past weekend, all kinds of celebrations. We've had birthday celebrations as Dr. Magnus uh, marks number 75, and we were all there to celebrate with with him. We were able to celebrate with Stetson this morning at his dedication. Uh, You may have already noted uh, that uh, on Friday evening there was the big maritime concert uh, at the landing, and Boys, I tell you, it just kind of sends you back to where you used to come from, you know. And there's a lot of singing, and there's some dancing, and some fiddling, and all these from CFAers come from awayers. So they did pretty good, I thought, except for one thing, one thing. They didn't sing, eyes of eyes of bills of oats. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe next year we'll be doing some of the same. Okay, that's good. Well, we all know (laughs) that uh, not all of life is a party. There are times when we definitely suffer, and and we struggle in the midst of that as to how we can continue our our faithful following of Jesus uh, through tear-stained eyes. And throughout this Lenten period, uh, we have been looking at the kiss of Jesus, suffering in the lives of, of Christians. And this morning, we're going to take a look at another text that helps us when we have been betrayed by a friend. And, and these are, are important, these are heartfelt words written for us by King David. So I would invite you to stand with me as we hear from the Lord through uh, the pen of David. Psalm 55. Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. 
It is not an adversary who, de- who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. Yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we praise you for your faithfulness to us when we have all felt what it's like to be betrayed in some way. This uh, urge that we have to think of ourselves rather than others is in every one of us. We've uh, felt its sting and we have stung others in return. We pray that you will show us how we can be wronged without being wrong in return. Show us your way, O Lord. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, their, their pictures are all up there, mounted on the wall in the hall, the betrayer's hall of shame. You can see there's Brutus and his treachery against Julius Caesar, A2, Brute. You can also see Benedict Arnold from the Revolutionary War. You can see Vidkun Quisling from the Second World War, and of course, right up there in a prominent place, you see the picture of Judas Iscariot. All these guys are despised because they represent what is the ugliest part within ourselves, within all of us. The fact that we, at a moment's provocation, will turn our backs on our closest friends and stab them in the back 
and in Brutus's case, literally stabbed them in the back for our own gain. All of us have this special loathing for these betrayers and these traitors because all of us, at some point and to some degree, have felt what it's like to be betrayed. Maybe it was by a good friend. Maybe it was by a former girlfriend or a boyfriend. Maybe a business partner, colleague, family member, or maybe even a spouse. We have all felt the cold kiss of betrayal. And what hurts the most about being betrayed by a friend is that it, it, it never comes, right, from our enemies. It always comes from those that we have trusted. It comes from someone that is within kissing distance. Just ask Jesus. The whole experience of being betrayed by a friend is, is disorienting because we, we never see it coming, do we? Because these are people that we trust. These are people we have done life with. These are people that, that we feel we can set our clocks by. And then all of a sudden comes a betrayal. And we're all messed up. We're all disoriented. We don't know how to feel. There is a sense where, where we, we are confused. Our feelings are all over the place. We're angry. We're surprised. We're angry. We're in denial. We're angry. And oftentimes that, that momentary desire to get payback crosses through our minds rather quickly. And it leaves us all with this one burning question. How do we respond when we've been betrayed by someone close to us. Well, King David knows all about this. He even writes a song about it because we just read the lyrics a couple minutes ago. And so when you are a king, any king, you know what it's like to have people gunning for your job, right? That's just part of what it is to, to be king. And so a lot of David's songs deal with his enemies. Now usually, when he deals with these enemies, he doesn't name them by name. Usually, the odd time, he does. But that's actually kind of a helpful thing because it kind of allows us the, the fill-in-the-blank feature. So David can talk about his enemies. He doesn't name them so that we can use his psalms and we can fill in the blanks with our own enemies. And so it's kind of helpful that way. And even though we realize that a lot of David's poetry and his song lyrics are full of pretty raw emotions, ones that almost jar us and, and threaten us and, and uh, shock us, even though some of these psalms are filled with that kind of, of emotion, whether we like to admit it or not, David's emotions carry our feelings up to God, and then we are able to simply be honest and just let it all hang out before the Lord. Now we can see just from the words I read that David is, is seriously messed up here in Psalm 55. He can't believe that he has been betrayed by a close friend. As a matter of fact, it takes him halfway through the psalm to verse 12 before he even admits 
what, what has happened to him. And so this psalm, if, you, if you're trying to figure out how this psalm goes and if there's any kind of rhyme or reason to it, good luck. I mean, David's all over the place here. You can hardly outline this thing because he's just, his, his whole life is just a, a, a mess of emotion and he's just all over the place. He's emoting here and there. You can't, out, trying to outline this psalm is like trying to dry shave a dragon. It's just not that easy and a little dangerous because David's just kind of emoting all over the place and so we're kind of wondering what kind of model can this serve for those of us who have been betrayed by others. What we do see in, in all of its goriness and all of its vitality is a guy who is really struggling because he's been betrayed by his best friend. So, how does he respond? Even more, how can we respond? Well, this is an, a lament, an individual lament. So David starts by lamenting. And following his lead, we would start in this kind of situation by lodging our complaint. Daryl, you can just flip that along there. Thank you. We start by lodging our complaint. And this is what David does. The first three verses. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. The first thing that David does is to lodge his complaint against God. Now, I'm not sure that those of us today would feel the same level of comfort <laughs> of, of going to God with, with this same kind of emotion. I mean, when you read what, what David is saying, he's just saying, like, listen up. Don't evade my prayer. It's as though he kind of stretches his way through the, the, the curtain into the Holy of Holies, grabs by God by the collar and says, listen up. I'm not sure how many of us feel the same kind of level of comfort with, with approaching God that way. I don't, I don't know how many of us have that kind of chutzpah to go up before God and, and, and just kind of demand that God listen to what's happening to me. But that's what David does. Now, we may not be as comfortable with uh, David's language, but we have our own way of lodging our complaints. And usually, it's found in three questions. Why me? Why this? And why now? Three questions that you may have felt forming in your mind by times when you suffer betrayal. Or you may have found those questions spewing out of your mouth when you've been betrayed by someone that you used to depend upon. Our issue is sometimes we feel guilty for telling God the truth. We don't want to come clean with how we're feeling on the inside, with what has actually happened to us. But if, if we're ashamed to tell God the truth, who are we trying to fool? Do we think God doesn't know? When I pour out my heart to God, God just doesn't say, well, Oh, 
thanks for bringing that to my attention, Blaine. I actually hadn't thought of that before. If we're suffering, if we've been betrayed, God knows. And, and he's waiting for us to come clean and go before him and say, Lord, this is what has happened. I have been betrayed by my friends. And the big issue here, when it comes right down to it, the big issue is not what we say, but it's who we say it to. Did you get that? It's not so much an issue of, of the actual words that we say when we lodge our complaints. God can take pretty much anything we throw at him. It's not the much, so much the what. It's the who we say it to. We are taking our complaint to God because we trust that he hears us. And when we take our complaint to God, what we're doing is we're not taking the matters into our own hands. We're trusting God to care for what has happened in our, in our particular situation. Because if we act on our normal impulse, if we don't take it to God and we assume that we're in charge of taking care of this betrayer, here's what happens. We say, okay, this guy stabbed me in the back, so I'm going to go and I'm going to buy a rocket launcher and I'm going to shoot him in the face. See, it escalates. The moment we take retaliation into our own hands, we have forgotten that that is not a valid option. That is not a response to those who have betrayed us, no matter how bad we feel, and no matter how serious their infraction against us. If revenge is our immediate response, we have already lost the battle. We need, in this instance, to follow the example of King David and, and bring it to the Lord. Now, obviously, David has more to say. And so when we have been betrayed, not only does, does David ask us to lodge our complaint, but he also asks us to acknowledge in the next little couple of verses. Notice what he says. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Now again, this, this language seems, you know, just a little over the top for some of us, especially Canadians. We're a little tight-lipped. And to have... David just kind of emote all over the place, kind of vent his spleen all over the place, saying, oh yeah, there goes King David. He's such a drama king. And we're kind of wondering, you know, what, is this the kind of, of language we should use? Well, even though it seems a little bit over the top for us, we don't understand David's situation because we're not actual kings where their enemies actually are seeking the lives of their enemies. So when King David is betrayed, it, it usually means that, that his life is in danger. And so he's going to use some, some pretty volatile and raw language here. But if we, if we can't identify with, with the level of rawness and, and pure visceral content, at least we can identify with the depth of pain here. When we've been betrayed... 
by someone who has been close to us, it, it feels like our, our whole world collapses in on us. And it feels like we're going to suffocate. We've depended on this person, and they've hurt us. They've really hurt us because they know how to hurt us. And there is nothing more painful than having a close friend turn on you. And so what we do is we follow what what King David is doing. We, We lodge our complaint because we need to tell God that something is wrong. But when we acknowledge our pain, we go from saying something's wrong to telling God how we feel about it. Our response to what has happened. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a healthy response. If we try to bottle it up inside of ourselves, that is just going to lead to an explosion sometime down the line, and it'll, it'll happen, and people are kind of wondering, okay, what's all that about? So after we've lodged our complaint, we acknowledge the pain that is brought to us. And then after we've acknowledged how we're feeling, David suggests that we can go on and we can catalog our options. And that's what he deals with over the next uh, majority of verses in the psalm. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this betrayal? And there are a number of options before us. And it's not as though in, in, a, in a clear and logical mind that, that David goes through all the particular options because like, he's kind of messed up and he's emotionally distraught. But he, in his mind, kind of goes through a checklist of possible responses. And the first of these is to run away. And there's where he, he's wondering whether he might be able to sprout some wings like a dove. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I could fly away and be at rest. One of the responses that we have when we have been betrayed by those closest to us is that we just want to run away. It's it's such a terrible thing to contemplate that we don't want to hang around. We just want to take off. Someplace away from the devastation that has been brought by this betrayal. The problem with this response is that it doesn't really solve anything. You may run away from the difficulty, but when you come back, if you come back, nothing's changed. That person is is still a betrayer. And so the, the avoidance option, the denial option, is tempting, but is ultimately unfulfilling. From there he moves on to vengeance. That's our next option. Notice what he says. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from their marketplace. Now at this point, When we see that that David is calling down vengeance from heaven, we need to understand the difference between revenge and vengeance. As I've already mentioned, revenge is not an option. But apparently he's contemplating vengeance. What's the difference between the two? Vengeance 
is when we retaliate because we have been wronged and we want to get even. That's revenge. That's personal retaliation. But vengeance is not the same as revenge. Vengeance is when we want justice to be done. We want justice more than we want to get even. Do you see the difference between the two? Revenge is something that we take in our own hands. And vengeance is something that we place in God's hands. Because we remember God saying, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So damage has been done. There is injustice. There is oppression. There is fraud. There are issues that need to be dealt with here. These enemies are wreaking havoc in the city. They're violent and oppressive. They're holding the whole city hostage with their evil. And this needs to be addressed. And so this is why David goes to God. He isn't looking for personal revenge against his friend. He's looking to God for divine vengeance. And it's only here, we're halfway through the psalm already, it's only at this point that David finally admits that his greatest enemy was once actually his closest friend. And at this point, he he ends up interrupting himself, basically, and goes off on this bunny trail about this guy who used to be his BFF. Now, all of a sudden, you, you kind of see the, the music. There, there's, there's a bit of a, of a sense where you know the music is changing, and you're knowing that you're, it's, it's the sign that you're going to one of those flashbacks in, in slow motion as, as David begins to, to ponder his, his friendship with this guy. And you can see the slow motion, and you see two young guys in their chariots with their hair flowing back in the wind, and, and, and they're racing to the Hebron 7-Eleven on a slurpy run, and they're laughing and enjoying one another's company, and they're there together in worship, nudging each other and laughing because the priest spits so much when he preaches. And you see this whole slow motion thing, and, and it's going over in, in David's mind, and it's driving him nuts. When you've been betrayed, have you ever had one of those episodes? (laughs) When you think back of the good old days when you were still friends with this betrayer? It just makes it worse. (laughs) Because you're rehearsing all this stuff and you wonder, how could someone this close to me be this nasty? And then David's mind, because it's wobbling all over the place, he kind of goes on this bunny trail. He's back to vengeance again. And he's there where he left off. And he's seeking vengeance for this injustice. And notice what he says. He's asking God that death might sneak up on these guys. That they might slide down into Sheol, which is the place of the dead, while they are still alive. Do you think David's fully over this yet? Doesn't sound like it, does it? But the important thing is, as raw as his feelings are, he's still asking God to take care of this. 
and he's not doing it himself. Man, he is upset. He wants this guy gone. And, and he's not above doing this sort of stuff himself. We've heard rumors about King David, have we not? He could do this if he wants to, but he chooses not to. And he's not just going up to God in heaven and, and hiring some kind of heavenly hitman to say, okay, you know, waste this guy. He's just trusting and saying, these feelings are really, really intense, but I'm just going to trust that to you and to your perfect justice and your perfect grace. And he says, evil is their dwelling place and in their heart. So up to this point in the, uh, in the psalm, every, everything seems just a little negative, does it not? He's pouring out his wounded heart. He's pouring it out to God in this song. And, and all this hurt and all this anger is just kind of bubbling out all over the place. So in, in the midst of all this negativity, have, have you ever wondered what this psalm might have sounded like if someone else actually wrote it? What, what if it wasn't David who wrote this song? What if it was uh, oh, the Christian recording artist, Michael W. Smith? Don't worry, it's not on. I can't play it anyway. <laughs> it's a little song I wrote many years ago. It's called Friends Aren't Friends Forever. <laughs> Pulling out the knife you've planted Right between my vertebrae don't try to make those dumb excuses Cause I can't believe a single word you say But I'll watch you close as always To see a betrayer at work Cause in my heart, in big and small ways you will always be a stupid jerk. <laughs> and friends aren't friends forever if they stab you in the back. And a friend should not be nasty or give you all that flack. It's not hard to let you go. Cause you're headed to Sheol For a lifetime of betraying Your friends <laughs> Thankfully, David didn't leave it there There is another option and the option is simply to trust. Look at verse 16. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. So David here trusts that God will hear his voice and will deliver him. 
And when his world is, is come crumbling in on him, David can choose to trust in the God who hears and answers our pleas for help. And the same holds true for us as well. Now, make no mistake, David is still very, very upset. And so he heads into another one of these flashbacks about, about his friend. He can't get over the, the pain of this betrayal. This friend has betrayed the covenant with him and his friends, the bond that they shared together. His words are as smooth as butter and as soft as oil, but they're meant to destroy And all of this is still very raw for David, as it is often for us as well. And sometimes we just have a hard time letting go. Now the strange thing about this psalm is that we get right up to the last two verses of the psalm before we know what what David actually chooses to do. Among his options, he's rehearsed them, and we don't really find out which one he chooses until the last couple of verses. And here's where David says that he's going to cast his burden on the Lord. He's going to trust in God. He's going to leave it in God's hands. So it's been a rather long and torturous journey through the psalm, but we finally come to its end. David is going to trust God, even though... He thinks his betrayer should die for all his sins because they are many. So we ask ourselves, is this the best we can expect when we have been betrayed? That we can trust God to work this out, but hope that that God brings about massive amounts of judgment on, on the one who has betrayed us. Is this it? Well, maybe not. Because as followers of Jesus, we can remember the words of Jesus calling us to forgive those who've sinned against us. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, not wish for their demise. Jesus tells us that we are his friend and he is our friend and that he will not betray us or leave us or forsake us. So obviously there needs to be something a little more than David was able to supply in his day and in his age. This, this psalm isn't trying to get us to ask the question, WWDD, what would David do? What we're trying to say is, what in this instance pleases Jesus? And we know that Jesus has called us to go beyond retaliation, to go even beyond desiring that this person pay for the evil and the betrayal that they have done to us. Jesus calls us to this kind of of superhuman response because he has felt all of this before we have experienced it ourselves. Jesus knows the sting of betrayal. His cheek felt the icy wound of Judas's kiss. 
He's been there. He knows how it feels. And he willingly died for everyone who would and will betray a friend. And that includes all of us. So as followers of Jesus, our, our main concern here, as it turns out, is, is not with the kiss of Judas. It's not with our betrayal or our betrayer. Our main concern is the kiss of Jesus. Where Jesus promises to be with us in this kind of suffering as well as all other kinds of suffering. The kiss of Jesus is the promise that even our deepest suffering is redeemed through the cross. The kiss of Jesus means that we can forgive those who have betrayed us because we have been forgiven ourselves. And we can love those who are our enemies and our betrayers because we have been loved. And so the intense suffering that comes from having been betrayed by a friend can only be dealt with as we realize it's not so much the kiss of the betrayer, but it's in the pledge of our friend Jesus to walk with us through it. Now we're going to conclude our service this morning by partaking in communion. And Jesus also said that if you're on your way to worship and you realize you've got an issue with a brother, you solve that before you go to worship. And so in in this psalm, we have the invitation to, to take inventory on ourselves. Have we been wronged? Or are we one of those friends who have betrayed another? And if that's the issue, Jesus would beg us to deal with that before you gather around a table that celebrates our unity and our oneness. And it's okay to ponder And it's okay if you find that that there is an issue here that you abstain just from, from this occasion until you make it right. But what this invitation offers to each of us is the sense that we are here to remember our friend who will never betray us, who himself was betrayed into the hands of sinful men so that we can come around in a full and clean conscience to celebrate the sacrifice of Christ, the presence of Christ within us, so that we might forgive those who have sinned against us and love those who despise us. And that's the meaning of this simple meal that we will use as we conclude this morning. I would invite the uh, servers to come forward.